Good evening and welcome to Mets 360 here on CAST. I'm your host Brian Jura and tonight joined by Mets 360 writer Dalton Allison. Dalton, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Brian. I always love talking on the podcast and writing for Mets 360. Fantastic. Well, uh, I had a previous engagement that uh, kept me from uh, watching uh, tonight's game, but I see from the box score that uh, Jacob deGrom did his uh, normal degrominating self. What did you think of the game? Yeah, you know, Jacob deGrom was dominant, as you mentioned tonight. He was able to go out there against the Phillies, just pitch like a real veteran does, and he got the strikeouts when he needed him, needed them, and sadly he wasn't able to win, get the win, which is the normal case for him. But um, yeah, it was just a great, another great start by Jacob Degrom. Now, do you think that he's going to be able to maintain pitching wonderfully and and getting no support and no decisions uh, time after time, or do you think that that's going to wear on him and he, eventually he'll crack? Yeah, you know, honestly, I, it's it's interesting to think about because the the mental toll that he must go through every night. I, there's no doubt in my mind that he goes out there every night wondering how many runs, if any, is he gonna get. So I think eventually it is gonna wear him down. I think he's a, a fantastic starting pitcher. I've always said that even when Noah Syndergaard was on, Jacob Degrom was the ace of the staff because he's just simply more proven. So I'm. I mean, I think Jacob DeGrom is going to be great all season, but he's already voiced his frustration with the team and that he's tired of losing. And we're, we're looking at a guy right now that could easily, easily be have, have 10 wins already. And it's just frustrating that he doesn't. And the team never shows up for him, and that takes a toll on a guy. Now, the, the Mets ended up winning in extra innings when Brandon Nimmo came off the bench to crack a three-run homer. Uh... What was the Nimmo homer like, and uh, what did you think about Nimmo not making the All-Star team? Well, I, Brandon Nimmo is one of my favorite players. I think that he embodies really what a baseball player should be, the full-on effort and the way that he's just happy to be at the major league level. There is just such an uh, underappreciation of being at that level by a lot of professional players. So to see a, a guy like Nimmo out there, so happy to be there. He's the he's the type of baseball player that you want your kids to. He's a he's a good role model for kids to watch growing up. And uh, the home run was great. He just got a a great read on the pitch, and he just took it for a ride. I mean, he's not a big power guy, but he really he sent it deep. He sent it out out towards the bullpens today. So it was it was great to see from Nimmo. But um, about the All Star game, I think he's been the best Mets outfielder this season, but. Certainly, he his average ended up in the 250s tonight. I mean, he's been he's been good for the Mets, but sure he was in the All Star conversation. He just not All Star worthy this season. I uh, he's been great for the Mets, but that just because you're great for your team does not mean you're the best in the league at your position. And I think it's very fair that Brandon Nimmo did not make the All Star game. See, I'm going to have to disagree with you there because while his average wasn't where you would hoped it would be when you look at his walks and his hit-by-pitches, that his on-base percentage was uh, one of the best marks of any National League outfielder. And uh, 
you, same thing for his slugging. And I don't think that there were, I don't know how many outfielders they ended up taking. Uh, they usually take somewhere around six, seven, eight, somewhere in that range. And I don't, I don't think that there's six outfielders in the National League this year who are better than Brandon Nimmo. I know he didn't start the year in a, in a full-time position, but he's certainly been a full-time player since uh, the beginning of May. And uh, they've been around the league, and uh, it's not like pitchers have uh, figured him out and figured out how to uh, pitch him and limit the damage. And I understand why it happened. Uh, I just don't agree that it should have. Yeah, you know, it, that him not being there in the, the starting of the season, that that's what hurt him when it came to the All-Star voting because he wasn't on the actual ballot you had to write him in and that just always damages a player well let's talk about uh, another uh, young Mets player and that's uh, Mad Rosario and I think he got off to a, a very disappointing start. Uh, they ended up uh, giving him a couple of days off, kind of a mental break, I believe is what uh, manager Mickey Calloway termed it. And it seems to me that uh, he's been doing better since that part, in a very small sample, of course. Uh, but I want to know, do you still consider Rosario to be one of the team's building blocks for the future? Yes, I do. I think Rosario is going to be the shortstop of the future for the New York Mets. He's taking some time to develop, but I'd rather him be developing where he is right now at the major league level. I think he's getting great experience there. Um, for a while, he was down in the eight hole, and he was he was kind of protected down there. So I'm okay with him struggling a little bit. I mean, he's regaining his footing right now at the top of the order. I think it's just a slow, slow progression for him right now, and I'm perfectly okay with that. The Mets aren't going anywhere this season. They don't need him urgently to be this great force at the time of time at the top of their lineup right now. I, I think where he's at right now is great. The other night he had, I believe it was two triples. So really, there's this. He's showing the flashes of what he's going to be one day. I think we just need to be very patient with him, and eventually he's gonna nurture and grow. And by the time that this team is ready to compete again, he's gonna be a force at the shortstop position for the Mets. So you still think of him as a future star? Yeah, I, I think at least he's going to be a, a good starting shortstop for this team. I don't know about maybe a star, but I think he's definitely going to be able to be a top-of-the-line of presence for the team. Well, let's uh, move uh, elsewhere in the infield. Recently, you wrote a very positive piece on Wilmer Flores. And yes. I'm curious to know if you, if you see him as a, a full-time guy, somebody who plays 150 games a year for a playoff-caliber team. I don't see Wilmer Flores as being an everyday starter, but that to me that doesn't mean he should not be on the team. I think Wilmer Flores should be a Met for the rest of his career simply because the guy wants to stay with this organization after everything that they've done to him. I mean, between the between the the whole fiasco with him potentially being traded for, for Gomez in the, the 2015 season and then crying on the field, it's amazing that he he cried wanting to be with this team. This all that he's known in professional baseball is the New York Mets and they've really just they've dragged him around all over the infield never really given him a chance at any one position and really the thing is with Wilmer he's always willing to do what the team asks of him and I think that's just a, a great player to have around now I don't think his fielding necessarily deems him 
to be a starter at any position, nor does his base running. But I think that his value coming off the bench is just so incredible that that's the kind of guy that you want to have on your team. And not to mention everyone in this. Well, I can't say everyone, but a lot of people in the stands are just huge Wilmer Flores fans. So I think if you let Wilmer Flores go off this team, a lot of people are going to be unhappy, including myself. But just for the ability of him to hit in the clutch, he's the technically now he's the most most clutch Met of all time, which is saying something considering this team once had Gary Carter on the team and the likes of also Mike Piazza. So I'm I love Wilmer Flores and I love him for more than just his heroics. I think he really should be a Met for the rest of his career. Now, let me state my bias up front. Um, I'm not a Wilmer Flores fan. Um, I recognize the things that you mentioned in his favor, how much he cares, how much he wants to be on that on the team, uh, and how he seems to have uh, a knack for being a little bit like Forrest Gump showing up in all of the big moments in history. Um, I, I grant all of that. But to me, the guy is not a starting caliber player and I think we agree on that so the question is if he's not a starting caliber player if he's somebody who you want to get somewhere in the ballpark of 300 uh, plate appearances in a season how much are you willing to pay for that um, through the arbitration years and even when he becomes a free agent I think that the Mets could easily afford him probably in the four to five million dollar a year range I really think that he is an affordable player and I think that would be a decent price to pay for a guy who has been proven to be a good hitter off the bench and usually Wilmer not so much this season but I think that he usually he's good against lefties and I think that's great to have off the bench now you mentioned um, what did you say four to five million yes so from from the Mets' point of view, I would agree. I think that uh, uh, that that's the range for uh, a guy for 300 plate appearances a year. But do you really believe that Wilmer Flores would be happy pulling down that type of salary for the next five to seven years? I think I see. I don't know Wilmer. I think that's a, a Wilmer Flores question, and I don't think he'd answer it considering where they're at right now. But I think. He would have to consider his options first. I don't know how much interest there really is out there for Wilmer Flores on, say, like an American League squad where he could potentially play DH. I think he'd be a great fit as a designated hitter. But I'll, that's a, a you also have to have an immense amount of power or at least speed to be a, a, a designated hitter in the American League. And Wilmer doesn't necessarily have either of those. He has decent power and far below average speed. So I... I think that he's a professional designated hitter, a professional bench player, and I think that that's the way that he fits in with the Mets organization. Now, we've seen in the past two years in free agency um, the the guys who can provide lots of power but who are limited to a corner position, uh, and you, you don't need to look any further than, than Lucas Duda. And those guys just haven't been sought after in free agency um, so I, I just looked up uh, Flores's uh, current deal and uh, he's uh, getting getting paid uh, 3.4 million dollars this year and and I think that's the sweet spot I think that's a fine 
uh, amount to pay for for someone and, and it should be said that Flores has been very productive once he's come off the DL and the club finally released Adrian Gonzalez and he's gotten a chance to play every day he's been very productive um, I, I'm comfortable with him in that three to four million dollar range I, I just wonder about how happy he'd be to be stuck in in that for the rest of his professional career I mean Wilmer he seems like the type of guy who oddly enough doesn't put money over everything I mean sure he's never actually hit the free agency market so we really can't can't predict what he's going to do in terms of that but I think what he would end up doing is he would probably test the market see what's really out there for him but I think as you mentioned really three to four million annually that's where he should be considering he's really not more than a bench player or a a designated hitter but he's he's a good bench player and he's a good designated hitter so i think maybe he'll go to a contender that's looking for that three to four million a dollar year bench player but usually the contenders are set with those players by now so we'll see what he does come come free agency this year if he's still on the mets well, let's switch gears and, and talk about some pitching. And specifically, I want to talk about the bullpen, which has been a pretty much a, a sore spot for the for the team ever since uh, about midway through the month of April. So are there any relievers who are on the team currently that you think should be on the 2019 Mets? Well, the only reliever who should still be on the team in 2019 is also a starter, and I think that's Seth Lugo because he's really – the only guy that I feel comfortable with when the Mets put him out there on the mound. I mean, it's it's hard to watch the bullpen. It's hard to see Mickey Callaway walk out to the mound and take the ball away from a starter because you're whoever they put in, whether it be Swarzak or now even Robert Gazelman, Paul Seawald, you name it, you just feel like they're going to blow it because they consistently do it night in and night out. So really, I think Seth Lugo is the only guy that they should retain from this year's bullpen. All right, so I'm, I'm going to throw some names at you and from the bullpen and uh, just uh, get your impression. Uh, tonight, Robert Gesellman came on and, and got the win, um, and he started the season off great, had a, had a rough patch, and now it seems like he's had uh, a few outings where he's uh, gotten it back under control. You don't see him as a, a future member of the pen? I could see him being there in the future if the team was in a, a position to maybe kind of contend. I feel the same way about Jury's Familia, but really, um, uh, Gazelman, he's been inconsistent. And really, after his stretch where he had a, a couple of great starts in 2016, last year he was wildly inconsistent as well. And this year, he's proven to do the same. I mean, I, I love Robert Gazelman when he's on. When he's on, I think he's one of the best pitchers on the Mets. But when he's off, really, he he seems to just put the ball right over the plate and then hit or smack him around. So I don't know if he's going to be on the team next year. The big bullpen addition from free agency this year was Anthony Swarzak, who had a outstanding year in 2017, got hurt, and then seems to have been playing catch-up ever since. But he's on a two-year contract. You think the Mets are, are going to be moving him? Well, I don't know if there's anywhere to move him to. I mean, he's just, I you kind of, you feel for the guy. He's just, nothing has went his way since he's been here. I, I have not 
watched a ball game that he's pitched in that he's really had a good outing. It's it just seems like he cannot figure it out this season. So I'm I'm willing to kind of just close the case on him this season. They still have him under contract for next year. We'll see what that's worth. But I've 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 been very disappointed in the signing of him. Uh, he wasn't one of the marquee relievers per se of this free agent class, but he wasn't also the bottom of the barrel. He was kind of that in-between level that the Mets always like to strive for to sign in free agency. So, I, I mean, he had a great season last year, but in terms of wins, Jason Vargas had a great season last year too. So it, it really is what you make of it. And last one, a uh, guy they just recently called up from their farm system who I've kind of been watching the last couple of years, and that's Tyler Bashlar, who uh, uh, has, uh, has some life on his fastball. Uh, what do you think about him? See, I like him because he he's he's kind of he's new to the majors, you know. He's he's getting his feel, so I'm I'm willing to see how he does this summer before completely wiping the slate on him. But I'm I'm excited. Anytime you see a new guy come up and have relative success with the team, you gotta get excited about him. I'm the I'm glad that he's having some success early on in this in this season. So hopefully, give him more of an extended leash than guys who have been longer around to prove themselves, like a Gazelman or like a Anthony Swarzak, but we'll, we'll see definitely what he has in the tank. We were talking about guys that the Mets signed in the offseason, and one of those is uh, Jay Bruce, who was trying to play through a couple of different injuries and was having horrible results, and then finally they uh, mercifully sent him to the disabled list. And he's been there for a while now and uh, doesn't seem to be uh, coming back anytime soon. But can you imagine him being a productive member of the Mets? And that's either uh, sometime this year or he signed a three-year contract, so either 2019 or 2020? Yeah, I think he, whether he's going to be productive or whether he's not going to be productive, I think he's still going to be on the Mets. I mean, the injuries really have just taken a toll on this guy. We know he's 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 been susceptible to injuries in the past, but when he's on, I mean, he's been he's been terrific for the Mets. I've I've always liked the way that Jay Bruce has produced. I was very happy when they signed him to the deal. I thought they got a great bargain for Jay Bruce, and I think that he can potentially still be productive, but they just have to give him some time to heal. I mean, he's a guy when he's healthy. He's usually a 30 home run hitter, 100 RBI guy, low batting average with a nice slugging percentage. And that's usually the Mets thought that they were going to get what they were paying for. And this season has not been the best of them. The Mets always get snake bitten with free agents and disabled list stints. I mean, Todd Frazier had been a health, very healthy guy prior to coming to the Mets, and, and now he's already on his second stint on the disabled list. So. It must be something in the water in Flushing because between Cespedes, Bruce, and Frazier, that's a potential top half of your lineup that's all on the disabled list. It'll be real interesting to see how they uh, maneuver playing time because you figure that Nimmo and Conforto are going to be out there and then you throw into the mix uh, Bruce and Cespedes and even with what he's done in the last 20 games or so, Jose Bautista. Um, you know, certainly no one thought that he was going to force his way into the Mets' plans, but it seems that's kind of what he's done. 
So it'll be curious to see how they handle things if and when everybody comes back healthy. Yeah, I don't know if uh, Jose Bautista is still going to be around when everyone's all good and healthy. I mean, th th he completely revitalized his career. He seemed like he was going to be bound for retirement after he left the Atlanta Braves. I was I was completely shocked when they signed him. I actually I couldn't believe my phone that the Mets had signed Jose Bautista to a contract, but I nonetheless they gave him his chance and he's been a, a quite a productive Met. And you never know, they might be able to get something out of him via a trade to maybe a possible playoff contender looking to have that veteran presence. I'm thinking like a, a Seattle Mariners. I think he'd be a good fit out there. Uh, pair him with Nelson Cruz in the lineup, and that's a potential for some real power in the playoffs. But coming back to the, the original question, I think that playing time is going to be very hard to come by. And I saw something on Bleacher Report today that... Cespedes is apparently willing to play first base and that's something very interesting to me because Nimmo I think is a guy you have to start out there every day I think Nimmo has really proven this season that he deserves to be in the starting lineup and he deserves to be in the outfield and he's a, he's a terrific center fielder so it's you're looking at putting Cespedes in either the corners and you figure you have Michael Conforto in left field and moving forward where are you going to split Bruce and Cespedes that's really where the big question is and right now they're both on the disabled list so it's not an immediate problem but usually when the outfield would get crowded they'd put Jay Bruce at first base but with Dom Smith potentially picking up his bat or even a Peter Alonzo coming up from the minor leagues by the end of the season it's just going to be very hard to come by come by solid playing time in Queens New York all right, well, we've reached the part of the podcast, which is crazy prediction time. I'll give you a crazy prediction, ask you to, to comment on it, and then ask you to give me a crazy prediction of your own. Are you ready? Oh, yeah, I'm ready. My crazy prediction is that Ioannis Cespedes does not play another game for the Mets the rest of the season. So I want to know, how crazy is that? I think it's just a little crazy because uh, last year... I'm just thinking about Noah Syndergaard from last year because when Syndergaard came down with injury, I thought, oh, he's done for the season. He's not going to pitch again. And he made. I, I went to the game where he started and he only pitched one inning. So I could definitely see Cespedes playing in September. I don't know the extent of his injury for the longest time. Everyone thought it was his quads, but now it's now it's his heel. So if he's able to walk or do something, I think that he's going to at least make some pinch-hitting appearances towards the end of the season, as long as he's well and hydrated to go. So I'd say it's just a little, a little crazy. All right, well, you know, a little is more than I usually get for my predictions, which never come true. So I'll, I'll happily take it. So show me what a crazy prediction is really like. My crazy prediction is that the general manager of the Mets next season will be Omar Minaya. I think that him emerging a little bit in the organization now is a sign that maybe the Mets kind of want him back in. And with the unfortunate situation that's kind of befallen Sandy Alderson, I don't expect him to come back next season. And Omar Minaya is just sitting there, and I think the Mets are going to do the safe thing, go with what they've already had. And I think Omar Minaya is going to be the general manager, kind of how, like how teams hire interim head coaches. I think he's going to be the interim general manager of the Mets as their next general manager. 
you know, I'm, I'm a little conflicted on your crazy prediction because I, th I think that you can build a, a rational case for it. And given it's the Mets, the Mets might be the one organization in baseball who would actually do it. But I still can't shake the feeling that there's no way on earth that they're going to turn the franchise back over to Manaya. Uh, I, I feel even the Wilpons have a, have a, a, a breaking point, if you will. And I, I have to think that uh, even though they like Omar personally, that they'd never put him in charge again. So I think ultimately I'm going to fall down and say on the side of, of that being a crazy prediction. You're crazy, Dalton. Yeah, that's good. That's That was the intent. So... The, the one thing, if if it were to pass, I, and I, I guess the one thing that would be, um, one thing that would be good about it is that Manaya was able to convince the Mets that you needed to have stars in New York. He was able to convince them to open up the wallet and get Pedro Martinez and open up the wallet and get Carlos Beltran and open up the wallet and get Carlos Delgado eventually, even if they didn't get him when they first pursued him. But of course, that was a time when um, the the Wilpons had a little more liquidity that uh, they probably don't have right now. And to me, that would be the real interesting thing. If they went back to Manaya, would he be able to once again get the Wilpons to spend money? Do you have any thought on that? Yeah, you know, I think that's it's really interesting to think about considering how next year's free free agent market is shaking up. I mean, for years, this upcoming free agency has really just been touted as this is the, the free agency that's going to shape baseball for the next decade. Well, Bryce Harper's not doing so hot. Clayton Kershaw is still a great pitcher, but he's not what he used to be. And Manny Machado's name is bounced around more than anything right now. So I think really it's it's an interesting time and I think it's just not the right time for the Mets to build through star power right now I think right now the Mets really are in desperate need to rehabilitate their minor league system uh, they're they're very depleted down there so I think that that wouldn't be the proper strategy right now to build through star power especially when you you're giving so much money to guys who aren't who are aging they're not young superstars I think the Mets kind of need to save their money for the next crop of big superstars and by the time the next big crop of superstars rolls around for free agency i think hopefully by then they'll have their farm system rebuilt enough where the 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 team is a mix of stars and talented homegrown talent david groveman our minor league expert at mets 360 thinks that the the mets now have a farm system that ranks in the top half of the the majors I think that uh, they've got uh, a lot of promising people from the last few years from international signings by Sandy Alderson and he's he certainly seems to have hit on this year's uh, top draft pick uh, Jared Kalenic who just got uh, promoted to Kingsport and hit a homer in his first game there last night and uh, Justin Dunn has bounced back and, and had a very nice season so I, I think that the the, this idea that the Mets farm system is a, a barren wasteland is, is not one that, that I really can support. And you mentioned that you know maybe now's not the time for the the Mets to overload on on older guys. But I think if you look at the two um, 
big name free agents and and that's uh harper and machado they're both in that 26 27 range so they're they're still very young they came to the majors at a young age and they reached free agency a little younger than than some of the others now i don't really expect the mets to be players for either one of them but i would think that you know, if uh, if somehow the price was right and the the wheel ponds opened up the purse strings, I'd certainly welcome either one of those guys on my team. Oh, don't get me wrong. I'd absolutely have Manny Machado as my starting third baseman or have Bryce Harper out there in right field for the Mets. But I think it's right now it's just not the time for the Mets. I mean, I, when I'm talking about prospects, I think I think of immediate impact prospects, and I don't see any of the Mets maybe – Peter Alonzo as being the only instant impact prospect that the Mets have in their system. I do think that the the Mets system is underrated, but I I don't think it's necessarily in the top half just yet. I think they they need to go another draft class before they can get there. Well, let's talk about one of the recent successes of the farm system, and that's Michael Conforto. And this time last year, uh, he made the all-star team, and, and certainly the the future seemed uh, unlimited. And then uh, he came down with the, the nasty shoulder injury uh, late last year, and and no doubt that's uh, affected him somewhat this year. And do you, what I want to know, I guess, is do you still see Conforto being a star player going forward? I see. I don't know if I necessarily see him being a star player. At at times, he has certainly shown flashes of potential to have that star ability. But I think I need to see consistency out of Michael first. I need I need him to have a season where he hits 300 before I could be like, okay, yes, Michael Conforto is the real deal. Don't get me wrong. I think he's still going to be a good player once he finds his stroke that he can consistently use. But right now, he really he needs to figure out what works best for him. He needs to stop listening to what other people say about his swing, and I think he just needs to focus on himself right now. And I think that'll kind of help him out to be reaching his full potential. Because I, when I, I saw him and Ahmed Rosario when they were both on the Brooklyn Cyclones, and seeing that was just it was cool when they were both on the Cyclones because it's like. You were witnessing the the future of the Mets right there, and they both had great days that game. And I I remember thinking that these two are going to be a great pair once they reach the Mets, and they've reached the Mets now, and it's their time to develop in the major leagues. So, given the uh, glut of outfielders that the the Mets currently have at the major league level, and uh, I, I sense some hesitancy. Uh, from you about uh, Conforto being a, a guaranteed star in the future. Would you consider trading him right now? Right now, I would not trade Michael Conforto. I think he still holds some value. I mean, you don't need every position player on your squad to be a, a, a superstar. I think that him, that I'd be happy with Michael Conforto batting 280 and hitting 26 home runs in a season. I'd be, to me, that would be Michael Conforto having a great season I mean is he capable of hitting 300 hopefully he is but I think right now he's just shown to be too inconsistent to be able to bank on that all right well let's finish it up uh, tying together something you said earlier you you said you didn't think that the the Mets had very much in the way of help from the minor leagues ready to contribute right now and one guy who perhaps could 
offer that is uh, starting pitcher Corey Oswalt. Um, were you uh, encouraged by his outing last time uh, against the Phillies? Yeah, I watched that game, the second game of the doubleheader against the Phillies. For the first four innings, the Philadelphia Phillies simply could not touch him. He was fantastic on the mound. And what I like about him is that he isn't completely reliant on his fastball. I think too many pitchers come up through the minor league systems now and they're reliant on a 100 mile an hour fastball and they're reliant on the speed and throwing hard. What I like about Oswald or Oswald is that he he he's he's not reliant on that. He has secondary pitches that he can kind of focus on. He's not going to beat you with speed, but he's going to beat you with secondary pitches. But the only problem is when he gets into trouble, he gets very he gets phased and that's when the Mickey Callaway kind of gets ready to pull him out real quick. And we see why he's he pulls him out quick now, because when he was hesitant in the game against the Phillies, he caught a stroke of bad luck, and it turns out Aaron Nola lined a, a pitch down the right field line, and all of a sudden he went from throwing a perfect game through four innings to being down 3 nothing in the fifth. So things I think he kind of learned right there that things happen very quickly in the major leagues before the blink of an eye, but I think that... He pitched well enough to earn himself another start in the majors. I'd like to see that four innings of, of great pitching. Obviously, he's not going to throw a perfect game every time he goes out, but I'd like to see him in a six-inning start. Now, one of the things that I get a little bit frustrated with is that we were told that he was consistently in the 91 to 93 range and that he would touch 95. And um, I don't think that he's touched 95 yet in, in the majors. So he, he doesn't have quite the velocity that we were led to believe. Uh, I, I note the fact that you said that he's able to get outs with his secondary pitches and, and that's great, that's wonderful but it sure would be nice if he had that extra two miles an hour that we, th we thought he did. It'd be nice if when he really needed it, he could uh, reach back and, and throw a 95-mile-per-hour pitch to, to get a batter out. So that's the one thing that I've been disappointed with from him so far from what I've seen. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of upside to having pitchers who can rear back and throw that fastball but at the end of the day I don't think that's going to make or break him as a, a starting pitcher and in this organization I think if he kind of instead because we know if he's not able to do it now he's not going to he's most likely not going to be able to do it later so I think if he focuses on making those secondary pitches more dominant and using them more of primary pitches I think that'll benefit him more than when he's in tough situations try to push the fastball more well, Dalton, you usually write for the site on Saturdays. Uh, any idea what your uh, next column is going to be? I'm thinking of writing up a piece about the possible return of T.J. Rivera and how that could potentially impact a hopeful dismissal of Jose Reyes from this team. Outstanding. We'll look forward to reading that. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening tonight. Uh, please uh, join us again next week when uh, our uh, guest will be uh, veteran uh, New York podcaster Mike Silva. Uh, till then, uh, good night, everyone, and goodbye.